I'm so excited to be here. You know, when uh, when you get to work work in the Word all the time, and you get to work on what it is you're going to be hearing all week, uh, man, by the time the week gets here, it's like, man, I'm about to explode in this place, amen? And so I'm just so excited about this Word, and I know it's a relevant Word uh, for everybody that's in attendance today, and maybe a lot of those that aren't, amen? Uh, but we just pray that today uh, it'll make a difference in our lives. When you think of the word disciple, everybody say disciple. When you hear that word disciple, what do you immediately think of? Give me some feedback here. Student. Student. What else? Follower. Follower. When you think of that word disciple, what do you think of? Going out to share. Share it, amen. What else? Christ-like. Christ-like. Uh, who do you think of? Who else do you think of? And I'm trying to pull it out of y'all. I ain't getting what I want. Kathy got it. Especially to people that are unchurched, uh, to people that don't have an ongoing relationship with the Lord, when they think of that word disciple, they immediately come to the place where they think of the 12 original disciples of the Lord Jesus that he had when he was in the middle of his ministry here on earth. But what a lot of people don't realize, and I'm thankful by your answers that many of you do realize it, but many don't realize that Jesus has disciples in this day and in this age. But, while every disciple is a believer, not every believer is a disciple. Y'all are looking at me funny, so I'm going to repeat it. While every disciple is a believer in Jesus, not every believer in Jesus is is a disciple. Now, a disciple is one who is wholeheartedly committed to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, yes, as Savior, but also as Lord, the latter being what sets him or her apart from the rest of the believers. Lordship. In one sense, you might call discipleship radical Christian living. Some people might label disciples as Jesus freaks. They might call disciples religious extremists or diehard fanatics. But one thing is certain. When you truly make a commitment to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus, you are living the Christian life like God meant it to be lived. Anything short of discipleship for Christians is settling for less than what God meant. Are you hearing me, church? There is no middle ground. You either are or you are, are not. God wants us as believers in Jesus to be disciples. That is what 
Jesus called the church to make is disciples. In Matthew 28, he said so much as he was preparing to ascend in back into heaven. And he gave that great commission. You're familiar with it in Matthew 28 in verse 18. And the Bible says that Jesus came and spoke to them, to those original disciples, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Friends, today, because this issue of discipleship is so critical, because it's so important to the church and to our mission to make disciples, I want to share with you four Bible passages that will explain what it means to be a disciple and also to show us what it is we're called to make. Number one, disciples take up their cross and follow Jesus. You see, being a disciple requires effort. Being a disciple requires sacrifice. It requires a great deal of work a great deal of commitment. And Jesus said so much in Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 23. He said to them all, to his disciples that were present, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and himself is destroyed or lost? Choosing to be a disciple of Jesus takes more than just verbal affirmation. It's more than just words coming out of your mouth. It takes daily sacrifice and daily commitment. Because when you're going to follow Christ's guidelines for discipleship, you're going to find that the end result is far better than you ever could have imagined. For that reason, I want to share with you three things according to Luke chapter 9 that tells us what true disciples should do. This is what you should be doing. So I want you to put your life alongside the Word of God and I want you to see where it is you stand. Number one. Your desires should take a back seat to his desires. What you want should take a back seat to what Jesus wants. Being a disciple means recognizing that God's plans for your life are bigger and far better than what you could ever imagine for your own life. That may mean that you have to be more dedicated to life change. That may mean that you're going to have to make sacrifices to spend time in the Word of God. That may mean that you're going to have to make sacrifices to volunteer to teach children at life groups and in CIA and in the Bethel Youth Group. That may mean that you're going to have to make sacrifices to put off a vacation 
in favor of a mission trip or vacation Bible school. However, in relinquishing your own plans, you're going to find yourself closer to God than you have ever been in the past. So your desires need to take a back seat to his desires. Number two, you need to take up your cross daily. Now here, Jesus is not referring to the cross as some religious symbol. He, he is at this time uh, reflecting on the fact that anybody saw, seen carrying a cross is on their way to a horrible death. Perhaps the most cruel death. But some, mis some Christians misunderstand the Lord's statement here thinking that he's talking about a cross or taking up a cross as being my own personal burdens. Some people think, oh, Jesus is calling me to bear my cross. Oh, that's a cross I have to bear. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's not talking about your difficult situations. He's talking about you dying to self. That's harder than bearing your own burden, isn't it? That's harder than you bearing up your own circumstances. He's calling us to die to self daily. He's calling us as Christians to lay ourselves down and say, Jesus, I want your will more than I want my own will. To die to self daily. And once you take up that cross, my friend, then you'll begin to experience what Jesus calls the abundant life, the life to the full that he promises to believers who follow him. So, true disciples, first of all, place their own desires in the back seat to his desires. But secondly, they are also willing to die to self every single morning and every hour throughout your day. But number three, you also lose yourself to save yourself. You lose yourself to save yourself. Now verse 24 on the surface kind of sounds like a contradiction. If you stop there, you say, that doesn't make sense. How do I save myself by losing myself? Well, he's wanting you to know that if you will truly search for him, you will find happiness and fulfillment, but you are going to have to relinquish full control to Jesus. He must have full control of your life in order for you to be a disciple. Paul wrote, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. It's all about him. Now, friend, it is true that it costs to be a disciple. But can I tell you this morning, it costs a whole lot more not to be a disciple. A surrendered life holds the key to a fulfilling walk with the Lord. So, we know that we must take up our cross and follow Jesus. But disciples also should learn to count the cost. Disciples are willing to give up everything. Say everything. everything. That's a lot of thing, amen? Everything in order to follow Jesus. Listen to what the Lord said in Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 25. Now, great multitudes, the inference there is thousands of people, went with Jesus, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, his own life, also he cannot be my disciple. 
And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does it sit down first and count the cost? Whether he has enough to finish it. Lest after he has laid the foundation and he's not able to finish, all that see it will begin to mock him. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against them with 20,000? Or else while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all he has, you said everything, cannot be my disciple. What you need to know is when Jesus spoke those words, he was a pretty popular guy. He wasn't so popular when he headed to the cross, but when he was speaking to these words, great multitudes came to listen to him. However, he knew that in these crowds that flocked around him, a lot of them did it for the wrong reasons. They were coming listening to him for the wrong reasons, and as a result, Jesus is directing his words to those people who followed him for selfish reasons. He's directing those words to those people who are following him because it's the thing to do. In the same way, Jesus doesn't want you following him only because it's convenient. He doesn't want you following him because all you've got to do is show up on Sunday morning. He doesn't want you following him just so you can be accepted socially. No, he wants you to be his disciple for the long haul, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, through the thick, through the thin, through the easy, through the difficult, no matter what might come your way. That is why, friend, before you choose to be a disciple, you better count the cost. It's not easy. It's not for the faint of heart. Counting the cost to being a true disciple of Jesus is difficult. But what does that mean, Bill? What does it mean to count the cost? Well, these four questions may give you a more concrete idea of what it means to count the cost. Number one, do you love Jesus more than anything or anyone else in your life? <coughs> Number two, do you love Jesus and desire his will for your life over your own will? No matter what that may bring. Number three, will you accept ridicule and sacrifice for the cause of Christ? Number four, will you commit to following Jesus even when it's not popular? Even when it's not accepted? Even when it's not self-serving? Friends, if you have carefully examined your heart and you have counted the cost and you can truthfully answer yes to all four of those questions, I got good news for you today. You are on the road, on the road to lifelong discipleship and lifelong friendship with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Jesus ain't looking for half-hearted followers. He is looking for wholehearted commitment. He's looking for true disciples who are willing to take up their cross and follow him. And he's looking for true disciples who are willing to count the cost of it all. But we also know that true disciples abide in Christ. True disciples have this innate, incredible desire to live a productive life, a fulfilling life, a joy-filled life. In his name. And Jesus knows that they get their strength from their closeness with him. Looking for a little more joy. Looking for a little more effectiveness. Looking for a little more production in your Christian life. Then how about getting closer to the source of it all. Amen. In John 15... He lays out four primary characteristics of growing disciples. As I share these verses, I want you to see where you fit along these verses. John chapter 15. Listen carefully to the Lord Jesus and his words. He said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. Ever been pruned by the Lord? Bow your head and say amen, because you're still here. He prunes it that it may bear more fruit. Verse 3, you are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Verse 4, abide in me. Connect with me. Dig your roots down deep in me. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and withered. See, when you're cut off from the vine, you have no life source. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they're burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified. If you have any other reason to be a disciple this morning, glorifying the Father is a great reason to start. Amen? By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also love him. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you. And get this, that your joy may be full. Think Jesus wants you to be happy? Think he wants you to have a little joy in this Christian life? This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you to do. No longer do I call you servants, for servants don't know what their master is doing. But I've called you friends. For all things that I've heard from my Father I've made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatever you ask in the Father in my name he may give you these things I command to you that you love 
one another. Man, when we hear that passage, four quick things come to mind. Number one, a disciple stays close to his master. In verses 4 and 5 there, Jesus is encouraging us to abide in him. That means you've got to let your roots grow. You've got to let your roots grow deep in your relationship with Jesus and allow him to permeate every part of your life, every day of your week. He wants you to allow the roots to grow deep. Now I want you to say amen if you're listening. Amen. Here we go. If you're willing to maintain an unbroken fellowship with God, you will be a successful disciple. Think of it. If your connection with God is there every second of every day, you will be one of the most successful disciples on the planet. But what happens? <clears throat> we break that fellowship. If you maintain that unbroken fellowship, your life will change. Your life will change. Now you won't be sinless, but you will sin less. Because disciples, true disciples, stay close to their master. But they also remain fruitful. A disciple is also fruitful. Just like the branch shall only be fruitful when it's attached to the vine. We can only be productive when we are drawing strength from the master, the vine. So I wonder, what kind of fruit? What kind of fruit might God produce through me if I stay attached to the vine? Well, the Bible tells us that God will produce much love through me. He'll produce much joy. How many of you know that joy is contagious? Much joy will be produced through me if I remain attached to the vine. He promises that much peace will be produced, much patience. We're still working on that fruit. He promises that much kindness will be produced through my vine. That much goodness, the goodness of God will be produced. But that much faithfulness will be produced. Much gentleness and much self-control will be produced as long as I remain attached to the vine. Disciples stay close to their master. And they produce the fruit of God. But a disciple also learns to obey his master. That, friend, is a clear sign that you are Christ's disciple if you obey the principles and guidelines set forth in the Word of God. Did you hear what verse 10 said? Verse 10 said, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Only then, friend... Only when you're in obedience to the Word of God will you understand, will you discover what it means to be God's disciple, to abide in His 
love. But finally, that passage also tells us that a disciple loves others. A true disciple loves others. Now, Jesus gave us the ultimate example of love in that he laid down his life for us. And I'm going to tell you by the authority of the scripture and with all boldness in my heart that God asked me and God asked you to do nothing less than to lay down your life for others. Now, you may not have to be crucified. You may not have to die. But it very well may mean that you'll have to place someone else's needs above your own. That's where we need to get. That we're willing to place someone else's needs above our own. Verse 11 tells us uh, what Jesus' reasoning for all these lessons and guidelines uh, is for us. He says, I want you to be filled with joy. He says, I don't want you to be filled with your joy or human joy. I don't want you to be filled with worldly joy. I want you to be filled with my joy. Supernatural joy. I want you to know godly joy in your life. And if you're falling short of that this morning, I'm telling you it's your own fault. Because you are trying to walk in the middle ground that does not exist. You either are or you are not. Friend, I want to just challenge you this morning to accept the joy that God offers us as disciples. If you try to find happiness through the pursuit of worldly things, man, you're going to fall right on your face. It will elude you because the only way to true happiness is through the pursuit of God. When you're doing that, you have the promise. The promise that Jesus made that if you will follow what he's laid out in these verses, your joy will be full. I want full joy. Do you? Amen. Praise the Lord. Friends, so we've learned thus far that true disciples take up their cross and follow Jesus. We've learned that true disciples have counted the cost. We've learned that true disciples abide in Christ. But finally this morning, I want you to know that true disciples also walk as Jesus walked. Now what does that mean? That means that true disciples pattern their lives after the kingdom. True disciples pattern their lives after Jesus, who is the ultimate example of how to live. And in 1 John in chapter 2, listen to what the scriptures tell us in verse 3. Now by this we know... By this we know that we know Him. If we keep His commandments, He says, I know Him. He who says, I know Him, and does not keep His commandments, He is a liar. Man, the Word of God just kind of gets in our grill a little bit there, doesn't it? You're a liar if you claim to know Him, but do not keep His commandments. Because the truth is not in you. But whoever keeps His Word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Now, I never 
met Jesus when he was on the planet. I know y'all think I may be that old. But Jesus walked in a way that I don't fully understand. All I have is the scriptures. And I don't see all the day in and day out things that Jesus had to deal with as Savior. But also as a wonderful, wonderful minister. So what I think that Jesus is telling us, what the Holy Spirit is telling us this morning, is that if you call yourself a disciple, you need to follow in Jesus' footsteps. If you think you're a disciple, then you need to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Verse 6 says, you need to walk just as he walked. Another translation says, you need to live your life like Jesus did. Walking. Walking implies a nice steady motion. One foot in front of the other. You may trip. But you just regain your footing and you keep walking. One foot in front of the other foot. And you keep on doing. You keep that steady motion going. You keep with it. You stick with it. And you find yourself to be very consistent. Continuing that walk as Jesus walked. But practically speaking, how does the disciple walk as Jesus walked? You see, it's all about the time. I don't want y'all to look at your watch and say, okay, Bill, it's time. Amen. But it's all about time. Where do you spend your time? How do you spend your time? How do I walk as Jesus walked? Number one, make time for God and for His Word every day. Make time. Number two, spend time in prayer with the Lord all day long. Spend time. And number three, take time as you are this morning to be with God's people. Take time, make time, spend your time in the Word, in prayer, and with God's people. Friend, there is a tremendous benefit to the disciple who will stay close to the Lord Jesus Christ. By walking as he walked, 1 John chapter 3, verse 6 tells us that we have help to keep us from sinning. I don't know about you, but I got this sin thing that I deal with every day. And the Bible tells me in verse 6 that he who abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. So for that reason, the greatest identifying mark of a disciple is that he or her walk resembles the master's walk. And the master's walk was free of sin. Friends, in today's decision time, it's going to be different. It's going to be different because I want you, we want you to experience the Lord's invitation to you to either be a born-again child of God or to be a disciple for the remainder of your life. That being said, I'm going to ask our deacons to come forward. And I want to share with you, as we actually participate in understanding what the Lord wants to do through us to help us be saved and also help us to become 
disciples. You see, every now and then, you're going to run up on somebody that says, man, I love me some Jesus. Amen? But they don't want anything to do with the church. You ever known people like that? Hey, man, I believe in Jesus. I just don't like the church. But Jesus tells us today, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And if anyone claims to love the Lord Jesus Christ, but does not participate in remembering Him as He commands, can they really love Him? The answer is, of course not. So as we participate in the Lord's Supper today, I want to give you three words to take home with you. Three words that help us understand how discipleship begins. First of all, the Lord's Supper is an examination. Listen to verse 27 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. It says, let a man examine himself. Don't look to the person to your left or right. Don't try to examine somebody else's business. Don't try to examine somebody else. Don't examine your neighbor. Don't examine anyone else. No, examine yourself this morning. What needs to go? What sin needs to be forsaken before you come to this table this morning? Christian, what about you? What sin needs to be forsaken in your disciple? What about you? What needs to go? Disciple, Christian, what's your temperature? Are you hot? On fire for Jesus? Are you, or are you cold and nobody would know the difference? Or worse yet, are you lukewarm? With which Jesus said he'll just spit you out of his mouth. <clears throat> See, the Lord's Supper is an examination. We need to examine ourselves. But the Lord's Supper is also an expression. Jesus used a supper table just like one of these. To help teach us to say, Jesus, we love you, and we remember what you did for us on the cross. You see, we're called to remember the high cost of our salvation. I know it didn't cost you nothing, and it didn't cost me nothing, but it sure did cost Jesus a lot. 